0: Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, July 27, 2010. Tax Credit Tuesday is brought to you by the accounting and consulting firm Novogratik & Company, LLP. This week, we have another information-packed podcast. We start with a review of the Congressional calendar. The House should be in session for one week. Then they go on their August break, and they return back in Washington, D.C. after Labor Day. The Senate, on the other hand, should be in session for two more weeks, this week and next. After our Congressional review, we'll turn to the House Financial Services Committee. They're marking up an affordable housing preservation bill today. From there, we move to breaking news regarding Missouri state income tax credits and the creation of a tax credit review committee. After that, we'll briefly describe the Moody's Rating Agency's methodology for rating debt secured by rental housing. And we also have information on the lawsuit filed by California's Attorney General against Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We'll close this week with another edition of Tax Credit Tuesday Tidbits. So if you're ready, let's get started. So starting with our congressional update, we have three major areas we want to discuss. First, tax extenders. Second, the small business bill. And third, energy legislation. On the tax extenders front, as most of our listeners know, and you probably read about it in the newspaper, heard about it on the radio, the Senate did approve an extension of unemployment benefits. The approval occurred on July 20th, however, and unfortunately, they dropped the affordable housing and community development proposals that had been included in the provision to extend unemployment benefits. That bill was originally the vehicle for extending several tax credit provisions, including the Long housing Tax Credit 9% Exchange Program. It did provide $1 billion for initial capitalization of the National Housing Trust Fund, and it would extend the New Market Tax cro- Program and allow the New Market Tax Credit to be taken against alternative minimum tax liability within a certain window of qualified equity investments. Now, one of our listeners did send in a question asking us whether or not we thought tax extenders would pass this year. We do think it will pass this year. However, reports from Washington do indicate that while Senate leadership is still committed to passing the remaining portion of the extenders bill, there are significant procedural barriers, making it unlikely to happen over the next two weeks. And if it doesn't happen over the next two weeks, it won't happen until after the August recess, which would put it between Labor Day Labor Day and sometime in October. Now, we do a pretty significant election this year, and if Congress isn't able to pass extenders between Labor Day and breaking to go run for re-election, then it would likely be addressed in a lame-duck session. We'll keep you posted as we know more. And as most of our listeners know, if you check my tweets, then you'll be kept updated on any breaking news on topics like this. Next, we turn to the small business bill. On July 21st, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus released a new draft of the small business bill. The bill still contains an extension of bonus depreciation for 1 year. This extension of bonus depreciation will be affect or will affect new market tax credit, long-term tax credit, renewable energy tax credit, and historic preservation forecasts that are done this year. So, all of our listeners should pay close attention to the extension of bonus depreciation and adjust their financial projections accordingly. The bill also contains an exclusion of gains from the sale of small business stock acquired after the date of enactment and held for more than five years. And it also has language that allows general business credits generated in 2010 by small businesses to be carried back up to five years. The way the bill is written, it is clear that large corporate investors in long-term tax credit transactions could not apply the provision for 2010. Now there have been considerable efforts to include a five-year carryback for the long-term tax credit in the amendment to the small business jobs bill, but as of last week Senate leadership stopped allowing further amendments to the bill. This means that the long-term tax credit carryback proposal will likely not be included in this bill. Supporters of the LIHTC carryback proposal do report Fortunately, the Senator Bingaman's office continues to search for future tax legislation vehicles that might be appropriate for this provision. Now, unfortunately, viable opportunities in the near term are unlikely. The Senate was scheduled to vote uh, later this week on the bill. We'll keep you posted through Twitter and breaking news as information warrants. Next, we turn to energy legislation. Yesterday, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Sander Levin released a draft of the energy tax legislation that would expand and extend certain tax credits. But before I mention that legislation, I did want to touch upon two bills that were introduced last week. First, what's being referred to as the Storage Act, Senators Jeff Bingaman, Ron Wyden, Jean Shaheen introduced legislation on July 20th. And this legislation, known as the Storage Act, would offer tax credits for the creation of renewable energy storage. The Storage Act will provide a 30% investment tax credit of up to $1 million to businesses and a 30% tax credit for homeowners that install energy storage on their own properties. Also last week, there was a bill introduced related to thermal energy. That bill was introduced on July 21st by Senators Al Franken and Kit Bond and Congresswoman Betty McCollum. It is a bipartisan bill, and this bill would offer incentives to combine heat and power systems. The act would create a renewable thermal energy production tax credit as well as expand taxes and bond funding. As both of these bills get more attention, we'll cover it in upcoming Tax Credit Tuesday podcasts. Next, I wanted to turn to House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Sandra Levin's recently released discussion draft of the Domestic Manufacturing and Energy Jobs Act of 2010. This is the energy tax bill that we've been discussing and referring to over the last several weeks. This bill, in order to become law, would have to be passed by the House, and then similarly a similar bill would have to be passed by the Senate, and then the Senate and the House would have to agree on the same bill and then pass both the House and the Senate. So we know something like this can take some time. We also know that this bill isn't likely to be considered before Congress goes on recess. However, it is important to look at what's in the bill as an indicator as to what's likely to be in a final bill in the coming months ahead. There's a couple of items I wanted to note for our listeners of the podcast, but I would encourage you to go to www.energytaxcredits.com to get more detail on a number of the other provisions. There are too many provisions in the bill to list out here. But some of the highlights, there's a f- extension or expansion of the Section 48 Cap C Advanced Manufacturing Tax Credit. That it would provide an additional $3 billion in funding, and this is a 30% investment tax credit for expenditures that re-equip, re- expand, or modify facilities that build solar energy property, fuel cell, power plants, and advanced energy storage systems. The Chairman's discussion draft of the bill also provides for extension of the cash grant program for renewable energy tax credits. This is the program that's scheduled to expire at the end of 2010 that that allows taxpayers who are otherwise eligible to claim production or investment renewable energy tax credits to exchange those rights for cash. The proposal would extend the the provision from the end of 2010 to the end of 2012. Of interesting note, and a number of our listeners will be interested in this because it provides an opportunity for them, the bill does provide for a new competitively awarded Renewable Energy and Conservation Project credit. The proposal would create a program to competitively award $2 billion of investment tax credits to support taxpayer efforts to improve domestic energy efficiency and identify new sources of renewable energy. For those of our listeners that are interested in certified historic structures, there is a provision in the bill that would create energy efficiency and conservation incentives for improvements to certified historic structures. And I'll close our discussion on this proposal by noting that it does call for a few studies One of the studies that it requests is from the Secretary of the Treasury, and it asks the Secretary of the Treasury to submit to the Ways and Means Committee and the Senate Finance Committee a report on the manner in which competitively awarded credits are awarded. Particularly, they note that they're interested in how Section 48, Cap C, credits have been competitively awarded. Next, I wanted to turn briefly to the House Financial Services Committee. This committee today, by the time you listen to this recording, will have already marked up the Preservation Bill, H.R. 4868. This bill does contain a number of provisions to provide for the preservation of affordable housing. However, there are several provisions that are causing some concern within the affordable housing community. The National Lease Housing Association has identified four key points, two of which I want to cover with this podcast. The first deals with the Federal First Right of Refusal. This is a provision that would require the owner of an affordable housing property to offer HUD the opportunity to purchase the housing before entering into any agreement to sell their property. There is a concern expressed by the National Lease Housing Association that HUD is not set up to be an owner and manager of properties. They also believe it undermines owner and investor confidence in their contractual agreements with the federal government and would alienate willing purchasers who would have to endure an acquisition process process which would be negatively affected by this right of first refusal and have an adverse impact on market values of the properties. The second of four concerns expressed by the National lease Housing Association has to do with the preemption of federal laws. There's a provision in the bill that would permit states and localities to regulate owners of projects that are assisted under federal laws with respect to preservation and tenant protection, even if the local laws conflict with federal laws and policies. Now, now the National Lease Housing Association has noted that this provision does raise a number of constitutional concerns, which would certainly be challenged in the courts. But the practical effect is that owners' contracts with HUD could be rendered meaningless to the extent states and localities attempted to negate federal law. I won't go into detail, but the other two items that they express concern about is resident enforcement of public housing agency or project owner agreements, as well as resident access to building information. You can go to the National Least Housing Association website if you want more information uh, about their comments. You can also send an email to cpas at novoco.com. To the extent that you have other observations about this housing preservation bill, please send us an email to cpas at Novaco.com or to me personally, Michael.novogradic at novaco.com. Next, let's talk about the Tax Credit Commission that was created in the state of Missouri. On July 22nd, Governor Jay Nixon announced the creation of a Tax Credit Review Commission. This commission will review the state's 61 tax credit programs. Governor Nixon named 25 business, community, and legislative leaders to serve on the commission. The Commission is going to analyze the efficacy and return on investment for each of the state's tax credit programs, and it will make recommendations for modifications as appropriate. Now, Governor Nixon appointed Steve Stogel and Chuck Gross to co-chair the Commission. Steve Stogel is the president of DFC Group in St. Louis, and Chuck Gross is the director of administration for St. Charles County. They are joined on the Commission by members of the Missouri General Assembly, as well as leaders from the development, education, finance, and labor communities, including Zach Boyers of U.S. Bancorp Community Development Corporation in St. Louis. While the Commission does include several prominent tax credit advocates, as well as bankers and builders associated with tax credit developments, the Missouri Coalition for Historic Preservation and Economic Development did release a statement following Governor Nixon's announcement that expressed concern that the commission lacked representatives from small-town Main Street groups, community development organizations, or historic preservation groups. This coalition asserts that because Missouri leads the nation in economic development, in part due to the historic tax credit, any commission that's looking at this issue should include more members that are familiar with how the historic tax credit works. The Coalition also reports that since 2000, historic tax credits have generated more than $669 million in revenue for the state and local governments, while creating 43,000 new and retained jobs, with average salaries of over $42,000. As this tax credit commission gets underway, we'll continue to report about it in future podcasts. Next, let's turn to a recent report that was released by Moody's Investor Services. It summarizes how it rates debt that's secured by multifamily rental housing. Now, to be more specific, the main types of financings that are analyzed under this report are four major categories, affordable multifamily housing, privatized military housing, privatized student housing, and subsidized multifamily housing. Moody says the purpose of the report is to provide market participants with deeper insight into the factors that they consider to be the most important to their housing project finance ratings. This methodology does apply to financings of existing properties, properties to be constructed, and those undergoing a substantial rehabilitation. Now the agency does note that its ratings reflect an assessment of a combination of qualitative and quantitative factors. Moody says the key credit factors are the market position, financial position and performance, ownership and management, the legal framework, covenants, and debt structure, as well as construction and lease-up risk. Moody's employs a weighted average credit assessment of these factors to arrive at a narrow rating range. A precise rating is then assigned based on a comparison with peers and additional qualitative considerations that may not be captured within the other factors. Therefore, some ratings may be positioned outside the rating range suggested by the methodology because of unusual attributes of a particular project financing, attributes that are not captured by the more rigorous approach. Now, some of these unusual attributes would include, but aren't limited to, debt service reserves, frequent tenant turnover, and bonds being close to final maturity. We do encourage our listeners to review the complete report. Simply go to Moody's Investor Services, and you can track down the report. You can also send an email to cpas.novaco.com to get a link. Let's turn now to a recent lawsuit filed against Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. California Attorney General Jerry Brown filed a lawsuit earlier this month against Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The lawsuit was filed because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were blocking a California clean energy program that was designed to create jobs and promote energy independence. The Property Assessed Clean Energy or PACE program was designed to stimulate the economy and promote energy independence. It did this by assisting homeowners and small businesses in securing funding to make their properties more energy efficient. Property owners repay the cost of energy improvements through assessments spread out over a decade or more. Under California law, These costs are classified as tax assessments. Attorney General Brown's office reports that almost half the counties in California have developed PACE programs or had plans to start one. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac characterize PACE assessments as loans that must be subordinate to their own mortgages. The Federal Housing Finance Agency affirmed Fannie and Freddie's decision on July 6th. FHFA the Federal Housing Finance Agency, says that certain energy retrofit lending programs present significant safety and soundness concerns that must be addressed by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the Federal Home Loan Banks. Specifically, FHFA says that first liens established by PACE loans are unlike routine tax assessments and they pose unusual and difficult risk management challenges for lenders, servicers, and mortgage securities investors. The agency also says that the size and duration of PACE loans exceed typical local tax programs and do not have the traditional community benefits associated with taxing initiatives. As such, on July 6, FHFA urged state and local governments to reconsider these programs and continues to call for a pause in such programs so concerns can be addressed. Attorney General Brown says the GSC's actions have effectively shut down the program, and as a result, Clean energy companies have had to lay off workers and the state risks losing more than $100 million in federal stimulus money. In his lawsuit, Brown asks the court to apply California law and require Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to change their characterization of PACE assessments. A copy of the lawsuit and related information can be found online at ag.ca.gov. Now let's turn to our tax credit tidbits. We'll start with the CRA, or Community Reinvestment Act, hearing. As most listeners will recall, the Federal Bank and Thrift Regulatory Agencies announced a series of public hearings on modernizing the regulations that implement the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA. The first of the four public hearings was held on July 19th. The agency specifically sought comments on issues such as geographic coverage, CRA performance tests, and community development. Enterprise Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Terry Ludwig, testified at the July 19th hearing. Ms. Ludwig's testimony highlighted the importance of adopting a specific, quote, community development test, close quote, for CRA compliance. Ms. Ludwig also emphasized the importance of examiner training, recognition of green building practices, and the need to reconsider assessment area determination. In addition to this testimony, Enterprise developed a discussion draft on changes to the CRA regulations, and this discussion draft can be downloaded for Enterprise's legislative information webpage. Now, there are three additional CRA hearings coming up in August, and they're in Atlanta, Chicago, and Los Angeles. You can get more hearing details online at www.ffiec.gov. We encourage our listeners to participate in these hearings and follow them, as a Community Reinvestment Act is a significant reason why a number of major investors in affordable housing, community development, renewable energy, and historic preservation do choose to invest. I also wanted to give a brief update on HUD appropriations. On July 20th, the House Appropriations Committee marked up and passed its fiscal year 2011 Treasury and HUD appropriations bill. According to the committee's summary, the bill provides $1.8 billion for home. $17.1 billion for Section 8 tenant-based rental assistance, $9.4 billion for the Section 8 project-based rental assistance program, and $4.4 billion for the Community Development Block Grant program. There's also $200 million for HOPE 6. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another edition of Tax Credit Tuesday. Next week, we'll cover a number of breaking news items, including a review of comments submitted by various industry organizations on the reform of the housing finance system and the transition to a new system as it relates to the multifamily sector. I'm also going to discuss a brief filed by the IRS, and this is a brief in their appeal of a tax court decision related to some state tax credits in the state of Virginia. I also want to remind our listeners that the CDFI Fund the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, is conducting a series of conference calls in the coming months related to the CDFI certification process. The dates are Thursday, August 19th, Thursday, September 16th, Thursday, October 14th, and Thursday, November 18th. Instructions as to how to participate in those conference calls can be found online at www.cdfifund.gov. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday